CBDC. The Bank for Canadian Entrepreneurs is a proud partner of the Startup Women podcast. BDC is here for women entrepreneurs in their efforts to move forward and achieve their business goals. To meet their specific needs, BDC provides financing, strategic advice, and has a wide selection of free resources. Find out more at bdc.ca forward slash women. BDC is here for what's ahead. Scotiabank Women Initiative is a signature program designed to increase economic opportunity for individuals who identify as women or non-binary to be successful now and in the future. This unique offering helps women pursue their best professional and financial futures by providing unbiased access to capital and tailored solutions, bespoke specialized education, holistic advisory services, and mentorship. For more information, visit scotiabankwomeninitiative.com. You're listening to the Startup Women Podcast on the Startup Canada Podcast Network, where we help women entrepreneurs to start and build thriving businesses. On the Startup Women Podcast, we connect you with leading experts, entrepreneurs, and organizations that provide capital, mentorship, training, tools, and all of the support that you need to make your vision a reality faster. This podcast is a production of Startup Canada, Canada's entrepreneurship organization and is presented in partnership with the Business Development Bank of Canada and Scotiabank. I'm your host, Kayla Isabel, CEO at Startup Canada. Welcome to the show. We are thrilled to have Nadia Ladek on our show today. Nadia is the co-founder and COO of Marlowe, a new femtech startup that has developed the first ever lubricated tampon kit. Previously, Nadia worked as a management consultant at KPMG, where she worked across a number of Fortune 500 retail clients. Nadia is committed to giving back to her community through her role as a Catalyst board member at Holland Bloorview Children's Hospital and as a mentor for the Junior Achievement Company program, where she provides weekly coaching to high school students as they operate their own small businesses. In November of 2021, Nadia was one of four winners of our Canada and Israel joint pitch competition, recognizing Marlowe for its commitment to the UN's Sustainable Development Goals. Nadia has spoken at universities across Canada to inspire the next generation of entrepreneurial leaders. In her free time, she enjoys reading, playing her guitar, and spending time outside biking, hiking, and backcountry camping. Welcome to the show, Nadia. Thank you, Kayla. I'm so excited to be here. Me too. I'm so excited to be going through this really great deep dive of Marlowe in its infancy. I'm so excited to hear all things launch and uh, your bold plans for the future. I'm super excited for today's chat. Me too. So before we get started, what is the one thing that you want our audience to take away from our episode today, Nadia? I think one thing would be maybe for some of the younger listeners to have the courage to pursue entrepreneurship. And this is coming because my founders and I, we all went to the Ivy Business School at Western. And often in business school, they're showing you a few different paths. So they show you marketing, they show you management consulting and investment banking. And I took the path of management consulting and I loved it. And I learned so much, but I didn't even realize that entrepreneurship could be a viable career path. And so I'm hoping to tell everyone out there that it is a viable career path because 
now being in it, I wake up so energized and so excited each morning about what it is that we're building here at Marlowe and the impact that we can make. And so I'm hoping others out there can find a problem that they're passionate about solving and and find a solution. And I like the way that my friends over at CEO word it, which is that entrepreneurs are solving the world's to-do list. And it's so true because every day you get to meet such exciting people in entrepreneurship who are working on incredible challenges and creating such great innovation. And so it's very humbling to be able to be a part of this community and to connect with these kinds of individuals. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And I think especially in in your 20s, it's I was reading a book called The Defining Decade um, by Meg Jay, where she focuses on talking about how you have to gain identity capital. And so for anyone maybe in their 20s and are looking at different career paths, entrepreneurship is the perfect way to gain that identity capital and to take risks and to try something new. So definitely would encourage people to check it out. It's a great way to kick off today's episode, Nadia. <laughs> so Marlowe, you know, it's a young company and has had so much success already. Let's start at the very beginning. What was the inspiration behind the company? Uh, walk us through this journey from, you know, ideation to the actual inception of the business in November 2021. Definitely. So it actually started as a conversation amongst myself and my co-founders And one of my co-founders shared that she has a lot of pain when inserting a tampon. And she's a very active individual. So right now, her only alternative would be to use a pad. But pads are quite bulky and uncomfortable for her. And they really limit her active lifestyle. And so after hearing her story, we decided to speak to other menstruators. And we learned that over 86% of them had some kind of pain or discomfort when inserting a tampon. And it could be because maybe they were new to using a tampon or they had higher levels of vaginal dryness. They could have medical conditions such as vaginismus. Um, There were so many different reasons why tampon insertion was painful. And so we wanted to try and find a solution to it. And my co-founder actually went to the gynecologist and tried to find a solution. And the gynecologist told her to spit on her tampon. And that shock factor just blew away our team. We thought there must be some kind of better way out there. And so that's what inspired us to create the first ever lubricant and tampon designed to be used together for a smoother and more comfortable insertion process that can allow you to use the benefits of tampons while on your period. Incredible. And and what have been the challenging moments of navigating building this business? Walk that walk us through for, for our listeners' sake. Definitely. I think there's, there's there's a lot of challenges. I think often in entrepreneurship, <laughs> the challenges are not talked about often enough. So mm. I think one would be we started the business last year in 2020, kind of at the peak of the pandemic, or I guess almost two years now, it's all a blur, but um, building that business in the pandemic and all of the supply chain challenges, which I'm sure everyone has heard so much about, but getting the product looking at increased freight costs, like the increased freight costs have gone up like three times since the start of the pandemic. Um, And our product is also Health Canada approved. So we had to go through the Health Canada process, which was also very delayed, understandably, because they were working on pandemic and all the requirements around that. So I think that would be just a couple of the challenges that we went through. 
amazing. And, you know, being in femtech in particular, like just with investors and conversations around your product, I imagine that's been challenging um, to, you know, get people comfortable talking about tampons and talking <laughs> about, uh, you know, you know, using some some language that may be perceived to be taboo. What has been what has that been like, um, you know, just getting people comfortable talking about this challenge? Because I imagine that's a big hurdle. Definitely. Our fundraising journey was very interesting because like you said, we have such a stigmatized product and often we are going into rooms with male investors who didn't necessarily have experience with this product and who did feel very uncomfortable. So whenever we would say like period, tampon, vagina, you could see people getting very uncomfortable and out of their element. And so we had to get comfortable being able to explain this problem to someone who hasn't experienced the problem themselves. And I think that's actually a good learning for anyone who's in an industry that maybe is a bit more technical or not a lot of people have experience with it. You have to get good at telling your problem for someone who maybe doesn't experience the problem. And so we would use things like customer testimonials and them describing the problem, them describing how our solution is helping them or stats that show how many people experience this problem, or even analogies, so describing how would it feel to put a contact in without solution. Um, And so if you're able to have that story and that experience, then that's really helpful when describing um, your problem and your space to someone who may not experience it. That is brilliant advice, Nadia. I love that. I love that. The contacts, that's, that also is such a good um, you know, example to help people sort of walk through these challenges, but in a way that, that yeah, they can relate to in a, a more substantial way. Very, very interesting. So spending some time on your website, you really quickly realize the importance of um, you know, your brand and the pillars that make your brand that built Marlowe, like starting the conversation, making moves. Walk us through this brand journey. Why has it been important, um, you know, and especially existing in this space of menstrual, menstrual products and sexual health? What does the branding of the product look like for you? So we really wanted Marlowe to be a very modern and inclusive brand. And I remember we were looking at other brands in the space and often they were highly feminine. So there was pink and flowery packaging or the names were all quite similar And we started to do some customer research and often people weren't even sure which brand they used, which shocked us. Um, They would say like the blue box on the shelf or the black box on the shelf. (laughs) And so it seemed quite habitual that people just did whatever they found that was on sale or maybe whatever their mom or their sister passed on to them. And they were on autopilot. And I think with a space that's so intimate that is used for almost a week every single month, it should be something that you have a connection to and that you feel strongly about. And so I think at Marlowe, we're really trying to prioritize menstrual wellness and get people off of autopilot because they prioritize their skincare, their hair care, nail care, so many different parts of your wellness. But it seems just now with certain movements around mindful menstruation that people are finally starting to embrace it as an overall part of their wellness. So We want Marlowe to be at the forefront of it and to be kind of like your older sister who just tells you like it is and breaks down these topics for you and allows you to to be comfortable talking about things that maybe aren't as comfortable. Incredible. And and where does Marlowe, the name, come from? Yeah, it's actually an interesting story. We always get asked that. Um, We were looking at different names because we had this older sister persona in mind. We wanted someone who... Yeah, it's no BS. And so we also wanted something that's gender neutral. That was a really important part of our brand as well, being inclusive to anyone who menstruates. And we were looking through 
a list of baby names and this one just stood out to us as something that's gender neutral. It's very different from, you know, Tampax, Kotex, Playtex. So yeah. we thought this kind of stood out to us. I love that. Going through a baby name book to find a name <laughs> in your business and approaching it that way. That's a new one for me. I, I love that, Nadia. Amazing. So we've already touched on this a little bit, but I'm sure our audience is particularly interested in your investment journey because um, you've raised about half a million dollars, right, for, for Marlowe so far through angel investment. How did you approach these pitches, fundraising asks, tips? You've talked about some of the the language that you've used and really trying to bring some of your investors that might not understand the need for the product and using different tools. Um, how did you approach, you know, even getting yourself out there, asking for money, putting the brand, you know, in the hands of, of new potential funders? What did that journey look like for you? Definitely. Um, I think we took a few different approaches. So we tried to have some warm introductions from people in our network, but we also did even do some cold outreaches on LinkedIn and some of them turned out to be successful. So I think if people are nervous about making those cold outreaches on LinkedIn, it can amount to something and they shouldn't be nervous to do that. Um, and I think early on, we got really good advice that an investor relationship is almost like a marriage and that you have a really long-term relationship with them. And so you have to find someone who's going to be a good partner and who's going to help your drive, drive your business forward and provide you value. And I think often as entrepreneurs, we get into the mindset that I have to go into this pitch and I have to do so well because they're going to give me money and it's very focused on just a one-way relationship, whereas it is a mutually beneficial relationship. And we have to remember that we're getting a lot of value from them, but they're also getting a lot of value from us. And we're allowing them to join a fast-growing startup and to be a good investment. And so kind of keeping that in mind as you're doing these pitches that you have you should have confidence in the business that you're building and that you're going to be providing value to the investor as well so that it's not as much pressure going into these pitches. And a more balanced power dynamic that then you don't become, uh, you know, fearful and coming into these relationships with, OK, the investor has all the power and we are, you know, in this more begging posture saying, hey, you know, invest in us. I think that approach also gives you the confidence to be coming in, you know, as an equal party and, and looking for benefit in a, in a different way. But uh, that's a really good reminder, I think, to our audience to balance out the power dynamics that people get concerned about with investors. Exactly. Interesting. With um, your Health Canada journey, do you have any tips for entrepreneurs that might be trying to navigate um, getting Health Canada approval for their product? Um, what did that process look like? You mentioned that it took longer during the pandemic, as you know, I'm sure we could all expect. <laughs> any tips for anyone who's looking to start that adventure? So we actually weren't even, we didn't realize that tampons were as regulated as they are before going into that space. Yeah, and I didn't realize. Yeah, it's a, they're actually a class two medical device, um, which sounds scary, but it's just the same category as condoms and rubber gloves. So there was a lot of requirements that we had to go through both on our supplier and manufacturer side and then on our side as well. So we had to make sure that the manufacturers had the appropriate licenses and then we had to, to file the appropriate licenses as well. And we even partnered with a Canadian research lab who helped us to test the safety of using the tampons and the lubricant together to be able to submit that to Health Canada around like our product composition, our quality management systems, and all of the, the aspects around that. Um, but I think a learning from this entire process was that 
at first we tried to go through the process ourselves and we were trying to read through the jargon on Health Canada's website and read through the policies. And it was very hard and very challenging since we didn't have much experience in this space. So I would encourage everyone to understand their strengths and weaknesses. And eventually we decided to partner with a regulatory consultant who really helped us so much to just lay out clearly, okay, this is what you need to do to, to get your approval. And it helped accelerate our process so much more. So I think as entrepreneurs, sometimes we're nervous to ask for help and we think we should just be able to do everything ourselves, but understand your strengths and weaknesses. Cause if we had just asked them right from the start, we probably would have been able to get that approval so much sooner than we did. That's great advice and, and a tough call, I think, for so many entrepreneurs. When do you outsource? When do you bring in extra hands? Mm-hmm. When do you spend that money? Uh, but I think being aware exactly what um, parts of the process can you expedite or bring in subject matter experts into that's really going to help you get to where you want to go faster. Um, so that's a, that's a great illustration. Definitely, because as a startup, our biggest advantage is speed. And so if we're going to be able to outsource it and get something, someone to do it a bit faster, then it's okay to do that if, if you have the money to do it. So going back to your website, um, you describe conversations around menstruation and sexual health as steeped in whispers and misinformation. That is such a powerful, powerful statement right there. <laughs> why do you think that this stigma exists? Do you have an answer to this question? And, and why is, I mean, obviously me as a menstruator myself understand <laughs> the importance of changing that. Um, but from your perspective, why is this such an urgent priority to shift this stigma around? I think partially it's because growing up, we're taught that menstruation is dirty and something to be ashamed of. And you think of even the way the space is described, feminine hygiene, there's just so much wrong with that that mm. statement that, first of all, the feminine part, that it has to be, we should be more inclusive to anyone who menstruates. And then the hygiene part that this is something inherently dirty, when as it's just a normal occurrence that happens to over 50% of the population. Um, And so we should be more mindful of that. And I mean, I'm personally guilty of it too. Growing up, I would hide my tampon in my sleeve as I ran to the bathroom, or would be nervous to purchase these items at shoppers to kind of hope that no one would see me purchasing them. So I've also even taken my own personal learning journey while starting Marlowe to learn about these topics and to have conversations with my friends and family. I never thought I would talk to my dad about tampons and menstruation and (laughs) and all of that kind of stuff, but um, it's happening and it's happening one conversation at a time. So I think that's something really important that we're trying to do with our community is meet people where they're at and recognize that it is a learning journey and you might not be comfortable talking about it tomorrow, but slowly as we start to break down these topics and we often like to use humor to try and make it a bit more comfortable, then we can start to slowly reduce the stigma. And we find that when we do this, it's honestly like opening the floodgates because there's a comfort in knowing that other people are wondering the same questions that you are. Um, And we call them the like, am I normal questions? Because there's things that you're kind of nervous to ask, but as soon as you see someone else is also wondering it, then you feel more comfortable to to ask it and and to see and I've kind of joked with my friends that now I've become like the resident gynecologist of our friends. Everyone just asks me all these questions. Um, But it's kind of an example of how this is this floodgate phenomenon is happening in real life, even in my friend group. And um, I think just reminding people that it's important to break down the stigma so that people feel comfortable to ask these questions, to go to their doctors, to advocate for their health. And 
hopefully with everything we're doing at Marlowe, one day my children will be able to feel more comfortable to ask topics and to understand their body and to not feel all the stigma around something that's so normal. Um, but of course, everyone has to learn and go through that journey. Amazing. Well, I'm with you, Nadia. That sounds great to me. <laughs> let's, let's keep that going. Um, so I'd love to know a little bit about your team as well. Let's talk about, um, you know, your unconventional thinkers, you call them ambitious dreamers. What is the internal culture like at Marlowe? And how does this kind of culture play a role in achieving Marlowe's overall mission that you're working towards? Definitely. So I have three other co-founders, um, which is very exciting. We're all across oh, Canada which is awesome. Um, and one thing that we always bring up on calls is challenging assumptions. And that can be like in a decision that we're making, trying to always think about the different perspectives, or also even we try and challenge any assumption that we've learned from corporate culture. Um, so things like flexibility and not even work-life balance, but work-life integration and feeling that you can bring your whole self to work and that you are encouraged to explore your passions outside of work as well. Um, and so we think that it's important, I think especially in the pandemic, it's come that you don't have to f be sitting at your desk from nine to five, but rather mm -hmm. focusing on the priorities and the output that you're doing. And if that means you like to do it in the morning or at night, we really try and prioritize challenging all those assumptions and having more of that flexibility throughout the day. And so talk to us about having four co-founders as well. How has that process been? Because, you know, you often hear one or two. Um, how do you navigate decision making when there are four of you? Yeah, and it's been an interesting learning curve for us, too. But I think yeah. it's nice that we all naturally have different strengths. So um, I'm doing a lot more of the operations, doing investor relations. Um, one of my co-founders is really great at like graphic design, photography, like branding and marketing. So we all have different strengths. And because we were actually friends before starting our business, we almost feel like this extra pressure that you would never want to let down your friend and you always want to be reliable. So I think it's actually helped us in that way that we try and put our best foot forward and we really encourage ourselves, we like to say, to do the hard things. So we embrace mm. challenges and we try and support one another um, because we are friends and we don't want to let each other down. Mm, amazing. And as your company grows, what are the important cultural elements that you want to still see as your you know, ever-expanding team will continue to uh, you know, go, grow across Canada? Are there any um, you know, must-do, can't-fail elements of your corporate culture that are here to stay? I think kind of what I was just talking about around doing the hard things, I think that would be one that I'd really want everyone to embrace because with entrepreneurship, there really is no playbook. Like you don't know what to expect. There's no one telling you what to do. And so I think if you're able to get comfortable making decisions with imperfect information and being able to, Ooh, yeah, and being able to pivot and adjust accordingly after, um, I think I would encourage everyone in entrepreneurship and everyone who joins our team to embrace that. Love that. Making decisions with imperfect information. That's a good post <laughs> to, to pop up of getting comfortable in that space. Because you're right. It's never going to be 100% set. You're never going to have the path 100% laid out. Um, so you have to be comfortable with a little bit of that ambiguity that, you know, you're putting one foot in front of the other as fast as you can to iterate as fast as you can and then ultimately, uh, you know, bring your business to fruition. So I think that's really, really important advice for founders. Definitely. Amazing. And so what support organizations have helped you along the way? I know I've, I've seen Marlowe in a number of our different partner organizations, but walk us through some of the uh, you know, helpful support organizations that you've tapped into across Canada. 
Definitely. I think one would be, um, so we started our business in London when we were still in school at Western. And so we leveraged some of the resources from Tech Alliance, which was super helpful. We've had some great mentors from there who have really helped us out. And during the early days when we were even just ideating around our product and the idea, they helped us to structure our story and um, understand product development. And then um, we did the next accelerator out of like Next Canada Accelerator. So a lot of great mentors and peer supporters from that organization. Um, and then my co-founder did SheBoot slash Invest Ottawa. She's from Ottawa. So lots of great resources there. And they had like a pitch showcase. Um, and then we've just done a ton of different pitch competitions. I think like just even now sitting here naming all of these, I, I think the entrepreneurship community is just so giving and so welcoming. And so we've honestly been blown away by the generosity of everyone who we reach out to is always willing to have a chat and to help us out. So I think that's another advice is that don't feel worried about asking people for help because everyone's been in your shoes and they just want to give back and they're always willing to just hop on a call and give you some advice. 100%. I know it sometimes just feels daunting to, you know, to feel that maybe imposter syndrome that, you know, if you ask for help, people are going to find out that you have no idea what you're doing or that you're stuck. <laughs> There's a lot of anxiety around that. So it's an important recommendation that, you know, people are willing to answer questions, showcase what their journey looked like, help you mitigate some of the risks. Like there's so much support out there in the Canadian ecosystem. You just have to tap into it. Exactly. And you just have to be willing to give it back as well. I think no one ever looks at it as you're asking for help so you don't know what you're doing. I think they're, they, it's, there's almost you're more brave for asking for help and for be willing to admit what you don't know and to get advice. And I think it's helped us grow quickly because we're able to take learnings from everyone who we look up to and just apply that right away as opposed to going through that learning journey ourselves and then maybe making more mistakes, whereas we can just learn from someone who's already done it before. Yes, 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 yes. Absolutely. That's great <laughs> advice, Nadia. So anything else you'd like to share with our audience? Any final words um, for, you know, other women founders to implement directly into their business today? Oh, it's so hard. I think there's so many good learnings um, in entrepreneurship. I think maybe one thing for people who haven't maybe started their idea yet would be to that you don't have to jump all in and you can just find some kind of low cost way to test your idea before getting started. So whether that's doing a survey or building some kind of low cost prototype, you don't have to jump all in. You can slowly take the steps to de-risk your business and to start validating some of your assumptions and then you can go all in. So we kind of took that process. We started by just buying a packet of lubricant and a packet of tampons from shoppers and just sending it to like a hundred of our friends and saying, test this out on your next wow. cycle and tell us what you think. And so it can start very small before you continue to grow. And then you can see what you need to improve um, and go through that iterative loop of getting the feedback, adjusting it, pivoting accordingly, and then coming out with your next idea. So I think find those low cost ways and get scrappy and you can just see what happens from there. Such great advice, Nadia. And what is up next for you? What are you looking forward to in, in 2022 and beyond? So we just launched our product recently. So we're really excited to start to grow our sales, continue to get the brand out there and get more people to learn about us. We're also expanding to the U.S. this year, which will be very exciting. We've gotten lots amazing. of great feedback from U.S. consumers. So we want to try and expand there as quickly as possible. Um, and then also testing out different marketing ideas, speaking at schools, like doing more of the education, growing our community, um, and maybe even a new product in the pipeline. So lots of exciting stuff. Amazing. 
Well, congratulations, Nadia, to you and to the entire team. It has been such a pleasure watching this journey unfold, uh, and we cannot wait to see where you go next. Congratulations. Thank you so much, and thank you for having me today. Thank you for joining us this week on the Startup Women Podcast, where we help women entrepreneurs to start and build thriving businesses. Thank you to the Startup Canada production team, VDC, and Scotiabank for helping us to power women entrepreneurs. Visit startupcan.ca forward slash women to download the playbook Resources for Women Entrepreneurs with a comprehensive list of support for you and your business. And visit startupcan.ca for the latest episodes of the Startup Canada podcast hosted by Rick Spence and plug into the Startup Canada network. Until next time, I'm Kayla Isabel. It's time to choose to challenge the status quo and unleash the economic potential of women. 